You guys help me. Would you stand up for just a moment? Just help me out here. You know, when you're getting ready to run a race, uh, you can just like get up to the, the starting block and just go. But usually you're encouraged to warm up a little bit. You're encouraged to kind of stretch it out a little bit, get ready, do a couple laps, feel good. So, so here we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna warm up today. Ready? All right. Hands out. Hit the person next to you. No, no, no. All right, just a little bit of this. There we go. Looking good, everybody. Okay, all right. And reverse. There we go. Looking good, looking good. Okay, little side right here. Get it going. And right here. Okay. Now 15 burpees. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. This is this is supposed to be church, not hell. So, hey, want to want to thank you for being here as we continue on with our running with the giants. Listen, we need each other. We need each other in this thing. And so as I'm going to talk today, this requires a each otherness that we have to engage when we talk about what we're going to talk about today. Okay? So, look to the next person, say you warmed up. And then now look at your second choice. Look at your second choice and say, you warmed up. <laughs> All right, you can be seated. You can be seated. I don't know. I don't know. Looking across the room, I'm not for sure if we're ready to run a marathon yet or not. But we'll, we, will, we will get there. Hey, Hebrews 12, uh, this is our theme verse for this whole series. Therefore, in fact, you know what? Would you read it out loud with me today? Let's go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It just, sin is just, you're just going to get tripped up in it. You're just going to get tangled up in it. Keep going. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Don't try and run my race. I can't run your race. Don't try and compare your race to someone else's race, but run with perseverance the, the race marked out for you. And God will not leave you or forsake you. He'll be right alongside of you in every single race. So the thought behind the series was uh, if we could take a grandstand of people that are cheering us on and we could take one of them out of the grandstand, they could run a lap with you around the track. What would these heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter before this called the, the hall of faith, uh, hall of fame, hall of faith, what would they say to us? How would they encourage us? And so we heard from Mary and Elizabeth We've heard from last week Ezekiel from a hero of faith in my life uh, from Dr. Wayne Lee and on Mother's Day from my mom. On Father's Day, my dad's going to be back and uh, talk about, we're going to wrap up this series. It's going to be great. But today we're going to talk about a little unknown, very uh, uh, minor character in the Bible, but that was a giant in their own right. We'll talk about that. But, but let's first get into the reality of this whole running with perseverance. God, since the beginning of time, has given us opportunity to run the race with him. In the garden, it was a pretty easy race. There were no obstacles. It was perfection. But we chose by, in our own path to take the sin, to, to want to be as knowledgeable as God. Pride got in the way. The enemy got in the way. And we chose to live this life. And now in the fallen nature that we live in, we're facing obstacles. God, however, uh, bridges the gap. He overcomes all the obstacles by providing the sacrifice of his son to cover the sin 
sin that so easily ensnares and entangles us. And all we have to do is accept Christ, begin to run the race with him. He'll, he'll lead us in that race. But it's been a process through the beginning of scripture all the way to 2017. We just get entangled with sin. You see from Noah to Moses, uh, Moses to uh, 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 leading the, the children out of Israel. Listen, whenever there's a dark time, whenever there's a chaotic time, God always lifts up leaders. He's always going to raise up leaders in a dark generation, in a, in a dark, chaotic time. And he was lifting up leaders in a dark, chaotic time in Israel's uh, history. They were in bondage in, in Egypt. And he brings Moses along and Moses is the leader and he leads them out of uh, out. Of, of Egypt through the wilderness and as they're preparing to go into, into the promised land or the land flowing with milk and honey or the, 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 the place that was promised to them, uh, Moses hands the baton over to the next leader and that is Joshua. Now here's where we kind of pick up a story and I want to give you just a touch of history as we move through our giant today. Joshua in Joshua chapter 24 is there beginning to possess the land. Here's what he says to the Israelites. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Can I say something to you? It, it was, there was never a problem with Israel um, serving God. Uh, uh, it, there was always an issue with serving him and alternatives. Yes, he was a God in their, in their uh, quiver of arrow of gods. They, they, they tended to want to reach out. If, it, if the rain wouldn't rain, they would pray to the rain God. If, if, it was, if it was too, uh, too cold, they'd pray a different prayer to the God of the sun. They, they, they had different, they, they knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they also wanted, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwback stuff, some substitutes, some if the second plan, plan B kind of gods. He says, throw away those gods in your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord. One God. This is all you need. God is all you need. He's the only God you need. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, it's a famous scripture, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So now we shift over, then the people answered him. So he's encouraging them and the people answered. So they stand up and they're excited, you know, uh, we'll serve the Lord, we'll serve the Lord. I am Spartacus, no wrong movie. <laughs> the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. <laughs> no way, ain't gonna happen. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us out of uh, our parents up and out of Egypt. Isn't that right, Keith? Yeah, that's right, Brett. From that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. Remember all those frogs and the water turned to blood and, 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 <clears throat> and being delivered from uh, the, 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 uh, the, the angel that brought death. I mean, do you remember all that? Oh man, we remember. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. Do you remember how far we had to travel and he protected us and he provided manna in the desert? I mean, are you serious? This is the God we're serving. We too, verse 18, we'll serve the Lord because he is our God. That's in Joshua. It closes the book of Joshua and we move into the book of Judges and we pick up in Judges 2. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites from that meeting, right? They went to take possession of the land. They're all excited. They painted their faces, you know, freedom. 
After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that, the whole generation, how much of the generation? The whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. What a tragedy. Many people would look to that generation who neither knew the Lord or what he had done. How could they do that? But really, the blame falls with the previous generation who somehow was not effective in leading them. From one generation to the next, they were serving God, trusting God, remembering God. And then after that generation passed, they neither knew the Lord or what he had done. It was their own stubbornness. It also could have been a leadership vacuum. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, all the gods. Now let's talk about this. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Wherever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. In other words, his, his hand to, of protection had lifted and he allowed them, okay, if this is really what you want, I'll give you what you want. If you really want to do your own thing and trust all the other gods, okay. Let, let's see how that works. Because the whole story of God is all about God wanting to get close to people, but he has to allow us free choice to determine, are we going to serve the Ashtoreth poles and the gods of Baal, or are we going to trust in the almighty hand of God? They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, and this is what this, the book of Judges is all about. The book of Judges basically says uh, these people that are raised up who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Now that's great, isn't it? They're saved out of the hand of the raiders. Yet, yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Many times we'll ask, I mean, people will even say this, that may, maybe not following Christ. If I could see a miracle, I'd begin to serve him. If he would raise something from the dead, if he would fix this situation in my life, if he, if he would make that better, then I'll serve him. Yet time and time again, God made their situation better by bringing a judge in to save them. And they still held on to their evil practices and their stubborn ways because they wanted to serve the God of self more than their own savior. Even, even when Lazarus four days dead, is raised to life in the graveyard. You know, you know why Jesus called him by name, Lazarus, come forth? Because he had enough power in his voice that if he just said, come forth, like the whole cemetery become, you know, it'd be, it'd be, you know, walking dead all of a sudden, walking live, I don't know. Be a crazy moment. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And yet it was at that point 
that people left him and at point uh, others, the Pharisees decided this guy's too, too, too strong. We got to kill him. We got to put him to death. Don't think that just because you see a miracle, that's going to turn somebody's heart around. It, it, it's a heart issue. It's a selfish issue. It's, a, it, it's me as a God and any other God that I want to serve. And God, I'll, I'll call to you when I need saving from, from these enemies. But then once you save me, let me live my life. Man, you're so strict. Back off. Ugh. God wants to be the God who saves and also the God who guides on a daily basis. Are you with me so far? So, you may want to write this down in your notes. Sin is a boring routine. Sin isn't very creative. Sin is sin. And the enemy isn't a creative God. He's an enemy. He's a fallen foe who has pretty much just a couple of tricks up his sleeve. Sin is a boring routine. And you can see it all through the book of Judges that they, that they, they got saved and then they sinned again. They got salvaged, they sin again. They got brought back, they sin again. I mean, just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's a boring routine. It will always, it will always leave you where you don't want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. Sin will make you pay a price you don't want to pay. Sin is just a boring routine. You know what else? The fast lane becomes an old rut when it comes to sin. I mean, for a time, sin might gratify, sin might entice, sin might say, goosebumps. But eventually, that's just an old rut. And the Israelites were in a major rut. Number three, after sin excites, the thrill is quickly gone. Sin is sexy in a moment, but the thrill is gone quickly. And so many people, it's why they get into a behavioral pattern of sin. Because once that sin, once they take that and they sin and then the guilt comes in and the conviction comes in and they ignore that in order for them to feel the same way they felt when they were sinning, it becomes this progression of continual sin because the, the after effects of sin, the, the, the uh, euphoria of a sin, right? Maybe it's, it's a small euphoria you wouldn't even recognize, like being let off the hook because you told a little lie. Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And you said it. There's a, there's a touch of you for like, I was off the hook. And, and, and that off the hook feeling can begin to con, con, expand and multiply the more you get into situations where you choose the wrong road instead of the right road and you begin to lie or even little itty, itty, bitsy, 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 little lies. I saved a bunch of money on my taxes. I did have to lie a little bit. And then that gets to be something, and that's something, and that's something. And before you know it, you say, oh, dear God, how did I get to this place? I owe $124,000. That's an example. That's not real. Just don't, don't, don't put that on me, you know. After sin excites, the thrill is quickly gone. You may want to also just write this thought down. The Israelites, they received physical deliverance. So many times our prayers to God have to do with the physical. A financial need, a physical need, an emotional need. It's all in this physical life. Oh, God, help me. God, do this. God, take this. And and what the Israelites were missing, they had a Savior who was saving them through judges. In fact, um, judges could be better understood. Don't don't think of, of, of Wapner or Judy, okay? All right. Don't think of Judge Wapner or Judge Judy. Uh, Think more saviors. When you, when you read the book of Judges, you, you really are reading a book of, of saviors. And it's an Old Testament peak at one person who fulfills all the saving you'll ever need. 
It's Jesus. Judges simply shows the fact that man can't save you alone. You can't save you alone. There's one almighty savior and his name is Jesus. They receive physical deliverance, but they refuse to see their need for spiritual deliverance. It's one thing for God to show up in the physical stuff. What he's after is your heart. Because if he can get after your spiritual deliverance and you can trust and lean on him and not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit and yield to his ways. He makes your path straight. And these physical things are even easier to deal with when they're not answered, when they're not healed the way you wanted to be healed, when, they, when it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it. If you can get the spiritual deliverance right, you, God can help you with the physical stuff. But this is the issue. Now, as they, as they go through this need for spiritual deliverance, God raises up 15 different judges there. And many, many you don't know, many you wouldn't read about, you know, or you would read about them, but, but you probably wouldn't preach many sermons on them. Othniel, anybody ever heard a sermon on Othniel? Uh, you know, probably not. Uh, uh, there, there is Shamgar, you know, you got not a lot of sermons on Shamgar. How many have heard a, a sermon on Samson? Of course, yeah, you've heard a sermon on Samson. He had that long hair, loved the ladies. Uh, Harley Davidson rider. Anyway, all these judges, all these judges came up and saved. They had their own issues. Eli and Samuel would be some other judges that would be familiar. Um, so let's, let's jump into the book of Judges and let's reveal our character today. Again, here we are, same old, same old. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, Ehud was another judge. E Ehud was this guy who was left-handed and his left-handedness gave him this huge advantage in the kingdom because it put his sword on the right side. And when people would pat you down to go and see the king, they'd pat down your left side because you'd draw the sword like this. But his, his, his sword was on the left side and he was actually uh, called of God. Uh, don't, don't learn a moral lesson. Just know that God's in control of life. However he decides to do it, he does it. But, but this story of Ehud coming in, he goes in with the king and he has a conversation with the king and with his left hand, he pulls out that sword and he stabs the king and the king is so fat, the Bible says. You ought to read the Bible. You ought to, you ought to. It's really cool. The, he's so fat that, that his, his belly takes up the whole sword and it engulfs the handle of the sword. Like takes up the whole handle too, just go bloop. <laughs> and they can't find him. He's in the bathroom. He dies in the bathroom. I mean, cool story. You, you ought to read the Bible. It's pretty cool. So now that Ehud was dead, he had done his deal to save uh, the Israelites. The Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth, Hagoyim. We're going to get some of these wrong. Just bear with me. Now, Sisera, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. See, see, it's not that they were unwilling to cry to the Lord. It's not that they had completely turned their back on the Lord. It's that when things were bad, they needed God. When things were, were good, who needs God? And it is an example of the up and down culture you and I live in, in 2017. Things are going great. Who needs God? 9-11 takes place and the next two weeks, church attendance doubles. 
when, when we're in fear, when we're under attack, doesn't matter. Oh, we'll, we'll call, we'll go to church, we'll get prayer. But when things are good, let's go to the lake. Nothing wrong with the lake. Go to the lake, man. Get some jet skis, go to the lake if you can afford them. But, but trust God and be consistent with the Lord as well. They cried to the Lord for help because of the physical need for deliverance. Now, Deborah, this is, this is a woman, a woman leader. She's also one example of a prophet. This is one example of why we believe women can be in leadership. There are some churches that have a view that women ought not to be uh, in leadership as far as teaching over another person. We, we, we don't take that view. You want to know more of that, you can go to, uh, you know, timbercreekchurch.com and read our values. Now, Deborah, prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She was leading Israel. She held court under the palm of Deborah between the Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She's a good woman, sharp woman. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, Barak, what's up? The Lord, the God of Israel commands you. So she had a word from the Lord for Barak. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, Deborah will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and I'll give him into your hands. We're going to partner up. Let's do this, Barak. <coughs> Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. <laughs> but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't have parentheses, do a weak, you know, goofy voice there. But he, he basically says, I don't know if I want to do this alone. If you go with me, Deborah, right? And you think in this culture, you think in this culture, it's any different than our culture? A man's man. I'm going to take care of my business. Don't give me directions. Recalculating. No, oh, GPS don't know what it's talking about. I know exactly where we're going. Recalculating. Okay. I mean... If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Barak did not have the confidence to stand up and be true to what, to what Deborah's word was to him. Certainly I'll go with you, Deborah says. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman, a wonder woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Because of Deborah, the Wonder Woman. Thank you, guys. Okay. So they won, but they had to do it together. And it was Deborah who engaged. It was Deborah who was the catalyst for the victory. And here's just a few thoughts I wanted to offer you. Take your notes. Take your pen. There's no fill in the blanks today. But I want you just to write down a couple of, of thoughts. Number one, negativity is easy to find. Oh, you, you don't have to search far to find negativity. Trust me, if I just go into the lobby, 
somebody's going to have something to be negative about. Very, very often that's not the case at this church. Very positive atmosphere and attitude at this church regarding God and what he's doing. But you can go pretty far. Hey, how's it going? Negativity is easy to find. And it's like we just wake up living in a lack. We live in lack around here. Uh, we, we, uh, humanity lives with a little bit of negativity and we don't even realize it. Many times it's like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night. We live in lack. Man, I just don't have enough time. Somebody's laughing. I just said that. I don't have enough time. I'm living, I don't, I don't get paid enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. We live in this lack. And it's just negativity on life. And you can see the negativity all throughout the book of Judges. They were living in a negative time. So negativity is easy. You don't have to work hard at it. Um, don't, don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. How many of you, just by an honest raise of hands, you know someone that you know when you talk to them, they're going to have something critical or negative to say? Right? What is the right? I know you're sitting next to them. We won't tell. It's just negative. Come on. You, come on now. You get an instant message from someone on Facebook and it's their name. You're like, oh, boy. <laughs> you get a text from them or you get a phone call. Can you call me back? It's always some negative. It's like Eeyore, you know. What, what's, the name, what's the name of the, of the, 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 lep, of the guy who, who, Tigger, Tigger. I'm not asking you to be a Tigger either, right? So on the one extreme, you got Eeyore who's always negative. And then Tigger's like, <laughs> but he's like, always excited, like, calm down, dude. You know, take a pill. But negativity is easy to find. Number two, a little encouragement makes a big difference. Now, now this is going to be a simple lesson from the life of Deborah, okay? Encouragement, a little bit of it, makes a big difference. It's amazing. It's just amazing how when my wife, just even this morning, says, I love hearing you preach. I know she's lying, but <laughs> it's just, it's a little bit of encouragement. My wife's an encourager. She has that empathy about it. She just, she's an encourager. She's a go-getter. And that little encouragement, you got this, you got that, you can do that. Oh man, shoot for it, go for it. A little encouragement makes a big difference. At the very beginning of the year, I talked about courage and I, and I uh, presented this definition. I want to remind us of this. And I find it interesting too, when these things keep coming up in, in my time preparing, when a specific thought or an idea or a scripture keeps coming up, it, it begins to make me understand that this is something that we're going to need as a church, that we need more of as a church in order to really go to the next steps God has for us. Whenever he keeps stirring something in and I feel like, oh, I already said that this year. I'm gonna say it again because it, it, it shows me that there's an ingredient that God wants us to stir up in our faith in order to get to the next place as Christ followers and as Timber Creek Church. Courage, willingness to act out of conviction rather than feeling. People act on their feelings all the time. But can you act on your convictions even when your feelings are say, act a, is saying act a different way? Your feelings are saying flip the dude off in traffic. Your convictions say just yell very, very loudly, God bless you. you know. Conviction rather than feeling. To deny my own flesh to do what is right despite the cost. 
We're being bombarded with these. The culture is begging you, begging you and you and you and you and you and you and me, begging us to live by the flesh, to feel what is right. If someone feels that's it's right, that's their right to feel that way. And you shouldn't ever have, you shouldn't ever speak up. And it takes courage to deny our flesh despite the cost. Encouragement is giving courage. So when you are encouraging one another, you're giving courage. You're, you, you, you have in your, in your uh, uh, arsenal the tongue that has power. It has power to give life or to give death. And the fruit of the tongue is either poison or, or, or beautiful. You choose. You choose the fruit of your tongue. And when we're encouraging, we are giving good fruit to one another. It doesn't, it, it takes a moron to be negative. It takes someone with courage to be an encourager. How can you give what you don't have? How can you give what you don't have to give? There's no way you can really walk being an encourager if you don't have courage to stand and willing to, to do things out of conviction rather than feeling. And Deborah stood with courage and she encouraged Barak to do the right thing. Encouraged, built Barak up. It's giving courage. First Thessalonians 5, Paul says, encourage one another, build one another up. It's not just Jesus' job to build you up. It's our job to build one another up. And many times we're asking Jesus, oh God, just lift them up. God, just be the lifter of their head. And he's saying, I told you to do it too. Sometimes we want to place on God responsibility that he's already placed on us. Now, now, David himself encouraged himself in the Lord when he had no one else to encourage him. He was surrounded by 600 men that were ready to kill him. And the only person he could go to, the only person he could go to was the Lord. And there are times in your life you may feel the only person you can go to. But friends, let's not let those friends feel like they're the only person, the only person they can go to to get encouragement is the Lord himself. They ought to go to the Lord. But we ought to go to one another to be built up and encouraged. Let's be that church. Let's be those people. Let's be that grandpa and grandma. Every time they come in, well, I see you got another tattoo. <laughs> Forget it. Build, encourage, develop, strengthen one another, encourage one, give courage. The fulfillment of my God-given potential hinges on my level of courage. You being all God has called you to be is dependent on whether all the other character in your life will be engaged with the courage it takes to engage that character. It is the most important piece of your character. Purity is important, but you have to have courage to be pure. Honesty, oh, it's critical, but you have to have courage to be honest. Courage garners the strength to engage all the other character in our life. Encouragement isn't any good until it's verbalized. Oh, I was really thinking about you the other day. I was just thinking about how, I was just thinking about them, how proud I was of them and how, how much I thought of them. And I think they are just doing a great job. Man, I'm, I'm really proud. Did you tell them? No, no, no. I didn't want to give them a big head. <laughs> Encouragement isn't any good until it's verbalized, vocalized, like actually out there. 
You can feel good in your heart about something, but until you say something, well, they know I love them. Yeah, remind them. Remind them. Now, if I say I love you too much, then it loses its power. No, it doesn't. It strengthens it. That's a lie from the devil. Stop saying, I'm not going to say I love you. Or, or, look, look I, I, was, I, I was in another church in a galaxy far, far away in a time long, long ago. And, and, and uh, this, this pastor, not this church, this pastor said, if you're looking for his own words, and, and I don't mean him, well, he, he taught me so many good lessons. He said, if you're looking for, uh, you know, positive pats on the back, you're working for the wrong guy. Just keep your nose clean. I'll tell you when you mess up. And you know, okay, I'll keep my nose clean. But, uh, and I'm not living for his affirmation, although it would be nice to be patted on the back, wouldn't it? It, it does mean something to have someone say, man, I'm proud of you. It means something when I have friends and guests come to the church and they say, I love your church. You ought to be proud of that. It, it's words of affirmation. I'm proud of that. Encouragement isn't any good until it's verbalized. Who have you encouraged lately? Think about it for just a second. Who have you verbally encouraged from a text to a phone call to a written note? Think about it. Who have you, who have, who have you verbally encouraged? Okay. Now think about this. Who do you need to encourage? Think about it. Who do you need to encourage you haven't encouraged lately? If, if you have a name of someone, I need to encourage someone I haven't encouraged them lately. Would you put a hand up right now? I, I, there's someone I'm thinking of that I need to encourage. Okay, do not leave the parking lot. If you have your hand raised, do not leave the parking lot without pulling your phone out, right, sending a text, putting a Facebook post, doing something just to encourage them. Encourage them. It's not any good until it's verbalized. Look, Judges 5, 7. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They were scared. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until she had the courage to go public. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. She led the way. So if courage is a willingness to act out of conviction rather than feeling, then look at this. Bravery is a learned behavior born out of consistent courage. I believe the difference between courage and bravery is courage is that willingness and it comes in moments. But as you engage that courage muscle, you develop a behavior called bravery. And that behavior is born, it's birthed out of the consistent courage. Two types of bravery, write them down. Big bravery. That's when you are up against it. That's what takes, the big bravery is what takes a 19-year-old kid with a machine gun in his hand behind a bunker to, to jump out and face enemy fire. That's big bravery. That, that's big courage and bravery. But everyday bravery is what you, what you have to really live in. Okay, it's great that you had big bravery in a moment. It's everyday bravery. If you don't have it, it'll kill you. Everyday bravery. So everyday bravery, you hit a rough patch in your marriage. It takes, it takes that courage that becomes a brave, the behavior of bravery to face the stuff. And listen, if you've been married 12 minutes, you're going to have a rough patch in your marriage. <laughs> Can I get a good amen, right? You're going to have a rough patch in your marriage, a rough season at work. Everybody, if you've never had a rough season at work, boy, I would worry about the next six months. <laughs> It's coming. Some of the time going to be tense. A hard decision you have to make. It takes everyday bravery to make a tough decision. Everyday bravery to navigate sexual temptation. 
You know, you live in the single life and there's all kinds of temptation or you're being tempted by, by uh, something uh, in, in a relationship. You navigate that. Your mind is saying something to you. The enemy is saying something to you and it takes everyday bravery to take captive temptation, any kind of temptation. But can I just tell you, sexual temptation is when we sin against our own body and that takes some everyday bravery to come up against that and trust the word of the Lord. Telling the truth takes everyday bravery. Loving someone who is hard to love. You gotta, you, you gotta be brave to love someone who's hard to love. What about this one? Forgiving when you don't feel like it. You don't feel like forgiving, but you gotta forgive. Here's an even harder one, okay? So yeah, I forgive them. I forgive them. I don't feel like forgiving them, but I forgive them. Well, we'll try this one on for size. Forgiving and acting towards them with forgiveness. See, some of you have forgiven but you're not acting towards them with forgiveness. That takes everyday bravery. So how to be brave? Let me give you just a few thoughts before we end today. How, do we, how to be brave? How to get that behavior, how to take that courage into a consistent behavior of bravery? Number one, you gotta know who you are. I know who I am. I'm a son or a daughter of the king. I'm bought with a price. Because I'm so valuable, I can stand up against opposition. Because God is my savior and my ruler and my king, because he, because he is the creator of the cosmos, who should I fear? Who should I fear? I know who I am, a son or a daughter of the king. That's how I can engage bravery, not in your own strength, not picking yourself up by your own courage bootstraps, but getting your courage and your bravery from the king of kings. Number two, I gotta remember this is temporary. Everything you're in is temporary. You are more a spiritual being on a physical journey than you are a physical being on a spiritual journey. You know, the Bible talks about us being ambassadors, Christ ambassadors. And ambassadors, you know, basically they live somewhere representing somewhere else. They live somewhere, but they're representing somewhere else. And you're an ambassador of heaven. You're an ambassador of Christ. And you're living in this world, but you're representing another world. You're representing another kingdom, not this kingdom of earth, the kingdom of heaven. You're representing a larger rule than just the executive, legislative, and judicial branch. You're representing the king of kings. And this is temporary. Number three, I got to remind myself God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God causes all things to work together for the good. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, but it, but these words and words aren't very helpful sometimes because words on a page sometimes don't match the feelings that you're in in the moment. But look at the truth here. He causes all things to work together for those, not all things to work together. In fact, that's so mis misquoted all the time. God makes all things work together. For, uh, God makes all things work together. God makes things all, all things work together. In fact, they say all things work together for good. It's actually, it's for the good of those who love God and have been called to his purposes or surrendered to his purposes. Because how can this scripture match the fact that all those people in Judges, God's hand was against them. I, God caused all things to work together for the good. Well, in that moment it wasn't. And they had not been loving him or living called according to his purposes. So we got to remind ourselves when we engage our love for God and we live surrendered to his purposes, he is going to make that work out. Here's how. 
I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how he's going to do it for you or you or you or you or me. But he's going to do it. He's faithful. You got to trust him. You got to lean into him. Number four, I'm not alone. Even with this courage, even with this bravery, even with all this, I'm not alone in this issue. Barack thought he was going to be alone. He needed someone. And so Deborah, Wonder Woman, stood up and was there to help Barack. I love what the scripture says, I'm not alone. Before you get into that scripture, Romans 8, 28, about all things work together for the good, here's what it says beforehand. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, waiting for all things to work together for the good, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. You cannot live this life effectively without being led by the spirit. If we don't know how or what to pray, it, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. He can pray for us when we don't know how to pray. He making prayer out of your wordless sighs, your aching groans. Maybe you've been here and all you can do is say, God, God. He's making prayers out of those wordless sighs and groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition. The stuff we're waiting, the stuff we're, we, we, we're, we're carrying. And he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Every detail. If you have something in your life right now, it feels like an obstacle. Give it to God. Trust God. Final thought here. Deborah didn't do what she did for recognition. And sometimes we want to encourage people because we want to be known as the encourager. Or we want to send that call. You know, it, it, we can be so prideful even in our encouragement. Deborah didn't do it so she'd be recognized. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this. The, the author of Hebrews says, I could go on and on, but I've ran out of time talking about the hall of faith. There's so many more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms. What? Barack? There's so many more. Gideon, Barack's... Barack's mentioned? Dude wouldn't even go to battle. Where's Deborah? She's not, even, she's not, not even there. But her encouragement and her courage and her bravery led to national victory. She's not even remembered in the hall of faith. Don't do the right thing to be remembered. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. Don't do things so you can get that plaque. Do things because God has called you to be that kind of encourager. Back to Judges 2, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Let's not be the generation that sees a generation behind us, in front of us. Make the same mistake. And I think they will be better off if they will know you and me as encouragers. This next generation is getting such a bad rap. Millennials, so many complaints. They got issues just, just, just like people who grew up in the 60s had issues. Come on. Let's be the kind of grandpas and grandmas and parents and men and women and leaders 
who encourage, who give courage. By the way we talk, by the way we give, by the way we affirm, by the way we serve. Let us encourage one another and build one another up and you will run with Deborah when you become an encourager. Let's pray. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, the truth is, if you feel discouraged, you feel like you're under attack. Don't just look for God to rescue out of a moment. Look to God to be the savior that you lean to in the good and the bad. If you're here and you've been trying to live life as your own savior, as your own judge, but you recognize today, I have drifted. I need Jesus to be the center of my life. I need him to save me. I want, I want to trust in him and his spirit working inside me to make all things working to work together. If that's you and you need Jesus to be the savior of your life, without hesitation, would you just shoot a hand straight up in the air? I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Yeah, I see a hand, hand, hand. Anybody else? Raise it right up. Raise it right up. Yeah, thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. God sees you. He sees you way before I saw you. He saw you this morning as you were preparing to get here. He knew that this day would be an opportunity for you to make things right with him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you raised a hand, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. In fact, I'm gonna invite everybody in the room to pray it out loud with me. And if you pray this and you believe it in your heart, then God's doing some supernatural work in your, in your life. You need to trust him with that. So here we go, let's pray this together. Repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who suffered on the cross, who took all the pain, all the sin, and he died for me. Thank you, Jesus. I can't fix my sin. It's why I need a savior. So Jesus, I confess to you, I do stuff that separates me from you. I want to replace those things with your character to live like you would live to believe what you believe thank you for not being mad at me but for giving me today to make things right with you you are my God I will serve you I will trust you Thank you for forgiving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Now with your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here and you feel like you're up against something and you need courage, you need the courage to face an obstacle. I wanna pray over you. Would you lift a hand? I need some courage here. Yes, all across the room. Father, may they be strong and courageous not because they have stirred up an emotion, but because they know you will be with them wherever and whenever. May they lean into you right now. May they lean into your wisdom, your discernment, your guidance, your teaching. If they're looking for an answer, may they first go to what you've already written as an answer, your word. And may they trust your word. May they, may they live in your word. 
may they be encouraged every time they come through the doors of Timber Creek Church so that not, not only just to be lifted up in and of themselves, but that they would then be an encourager and build others up as you continue to write their story of bravery, living under you and for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.